0: Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah, chapter 45. Isaiah, chapter 45. God promised Cyrus, personally and directly, and Israel, rather personally and directly, that He would use Cyrus for His glory and for universal worship. That's the theme of this chapter. God promised Cyrus, and He promised Israel, that He would use Cyrus for His glory, and for universal worship. The things I said earlier today, an introduction to Isaiah 44, apply to this chapter. And the things that we should be looking for is an increase in our faith, an increase in our zeal for worshiping this great God, and what He did in the annals of human history for the sake of His people. If I were to turn you to Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8, it tells us that the boundaries of all nations was set according to the people of the children of Israel all nations. It doesn't matter how multitudinous they may be or how much geography they cover. The boundaries of all nations wait upon God's choice of what He's going to do with His people Israel. And that is how God views the world. What is their role with my people of Israel? Will I use them to chasten them and then punish them? Will I use them to supply my people? And so when we look at the world, we got to understand that God's taking care of His church. Go west, young man. Remember the Apostle Paul and how he was sent into Europe and how the Gospel came to us. And we thank the Lord for that. When he crossed the Hellespont, that was a, that was a tremendous moment Amen. to cross over from Asia into Europe to bring the Gospel to us. And these world-changing events, some of which are right here in Isaiah before us, we want to appreciate. Isaiah chapter 45. The first lesson is verses 1 through 6. God personally promised Cyrus great success. And so I want you looking for those personal second-person pronouns that start with a T. A second-person pronoun. I love you. Well, that's a lot of love. That's all 200 of you. But if I say, I love thee, you should ask, which of us is thee? So I want you to notice in these first six verses, God's talking to Cyrus. It helps us. Verses 1 through 6 of Isaiah 45. Those second person pronouns, thee, thy, thine, thou, are personal, individual, one person only, never two. And then ye, your, you, is always two or more in the Bible. When somebody says, I just don't like the these and the thous, say, oh, so you want a dumbed-down Bible. Right. Because we don't have a way of distinguishing between one person and multiple persons with our second-person yous. Right. We don't have a way to do it. The Hebrew did, and the Greek did, right. and Old High English did but not this junk that we call English today. It doesn't have a way to distinguish between one person and multiple people. Sorry about that. That that was in lieu of an introduction. Let's get to these first six verses. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Amen. And amen. Six verses telling us that there's no one like the Lord Jehovah, there is no other God, and that he raised up Cyrus and took personal care in Cyrus and addressed Cyrus personally. Wouldn't that have been a pleasure to have been Daniel and lay this before King Cyrus? And it would have some form of a stamp on it or a dating mechanism for that particular manuscript or copy that had been made of God's scripture, for Cyrus to know that it was a hundred and sixty years old and it's addressing Cyrus by name with the God of Israel speaking to him so let's look at the first verse of Isaiah 45 thus saith the Lord and that's the Lord Jehovah the God of Israel to his anointed he had anointed appointed set up sanctified set apart Cyrus to do his work for him we have already encountered In Isaiah 13, why don't you turn back there and let's see what it says about the Babylonians and uh, the uh, Persians that were coming. In Isaiah 13 and verse 3, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. And those are the Medes and the Persians. Because notice verse 1 of Isaiah 13, the burden of Babylon. So these are, these are the nations that overthrow overthrew Babylon, and so it's the Medes and the Persians, and God calls them my sanctified ones. Because they, what does sanctified mean? To be set apart for the holy use of God. Right. And were the Medes and the Persians sanctified in the sense of being set apart for the holy use of God? Yes, the holy use of clubbing Babylon down and releasing his people to go back to Jerusalem. Right. So Cyrus is called his anointed. Everyone that God chooses is called his anointed whether they're anointed formally with oil from Samuel or not, whose right hand I have holden. I have held Cyrus's right hand. I have held it, and that is why he has been so successful, to subdue nations before him. I held his hand to accomplish the great purpose of his military victories. And I will loose the loins of kings. Kings will be terrified of him. Belshazzar's Belshazzar's loins were specifically loosed, and his knees knocked, When that hand came out on the wall, the night in which he lost the kingdom of Babylon. I will loose the loins of kings. I've been holding his hand to subdue nations. I'll loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. There were gates that allowed Cyrus to take the city of Babylon, and whether these gates are the gates in the Euphrates River to prohibit any kind of boat, of making its way inside the city walls or not, or whether they are the gates that were along the whole stretch of the Euphrates that ran through the middle of the city, because there were cross streets that met the Euphrates River, but there were gates there that you couldn't just come from the river into the city without gates being opened, or whether it's the gates of the palace of Belshazzar, because they were in such a night of revelry and would have been drunk that night. We don't know or care exactly which gates we just know that a number of gates were opened by the providence of god right. and open the two leaved gates and i i could i don't want to speculate i don't speculate i hope i i never speculate and the gates shall not be shut this is the lord speaking about cyrus whose right hand i have holden that makes him third person but notice now verse two i will go before thee cyrus I'm going to go before you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your way prosperous and make the crooked places straight. That was the ministry of John the Baptist getting Judea ready for Jesus Christ. But the same language from Isaiah 40 is here applied to God what He would do for Cyrus. Everything's just going to fall into place. If there's one being you want in charge of your military logistics and planning, it's the God of heaven. He sees the end from the beginning and knows all contingencies, Perfectly. I will break in pieces the gates of brass, so I mention gates again for you, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Now we don't know of any cutting in sunder bars of iron. His engineers may have cut some bars of iron in sunder, but the Lord was going to bless every one of these military efforts and engineering efforts to gain access to this impregnable city of Babylon that had its terraced gardens and hanging gardens, and the supply of the Euphrates and stocked food that they claimed they could withstand a siege for 20 years. And so when when there's 20 years involved, to be able to take a city is a tremendous blessing. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's difficulty with Tyre? Alexander's difficulty with Tyre and taking that city? This one was made easy in one night by God's providential care. I'll go before thee and make the crooked places, what would ordinarily be difficult to move through, I'll make it easy. Verse 3, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. I am going to give you the wealth of the wealthiest empire in the history of the world. Nebuchadnezzar has raided all the kingdoms of the world and taken all their riches, like he took out of the treasury of the city of Jerusalem and out of the temple itself, and I will give you all that. If you go to Jeremiah 50 and Jeremiah 51, which are Jeremiah's chapters about the destruction of Babylon, you will read there about the treasures of Babylon being taken by Cyrus. I'm going to give you all that wealth. You're going to have a payday like you've never had before. Now, he had taken Media and he had taken Lydia, which were huge conquests of his because he was unknown as Cyrus II, but this would be the treasures of the Babylonian Empire. Just the pictures that I showed you are the, are the effort of people to try to give us a visual demonstration of what Babylon looked like in Berlin, Germany. That, that Ishtar Gate that they've built from recovered bricks, isn't. remember that beautiful blue that they had? Right. Those bricks are 3,000 years old. And, and it was beautiful. The city was wealthy. She was a queen. I'll sit forever. And everyone knew that about Babylon. And Cyrus is going to get it in one night. He's hardly going to have a loss in the city of Babylon and take it all and it's right here in the Bible and the Lord is speaking to Cyrus, I've got a big payday coming for you. That thou mayest know that I the Lord which call thee by thy name am the God of Israel. I'm going to do this in such a dramatic way and you're going to have such success. How much How much riches were hauled away from Babylon because the Babylonians were afraid of the Persians breaching their city? None. Because they were utterly confident in their city. That's why they were partying that night and celebrating that night. I want you to know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, you know, that makes us think that uh, he certainly did read the book of Isaiah or 2 Chronicles or some other piece of scripture and find himself there that I've called you by name I want you to know that I'm the God of Israel I'm not your God you don't know me but I'm the God of Israel keep these things in mind you know when Cyrus says the things that he does the God of heavens given me all the kingdoms of the world don't think too much about those words because (sighs) Balaam's ass could say pretty good things about the Lord and that didn't mean he was regenerate or elect Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel chapter 4, and there's no evidence that Nebuchadnezzar was converted for the rest of his life. There's no evidence that Cyrus converted at all. He was just told this point, those people that are in your city of Babylon, those Jews, the descendants of Jacob, the children of Israel, they have a God named Jehovah, and I am the one that has favored your cause thus far. We read of no conversion, and that would we be surprised. Men don't convert without the regenerating power and grace of God to force them to convert and to open our hearts to think of things that we had never believed before. Judas Iscariot is in hell. Amen. Go read Psalm 109 about Judas Iscariot's eternal destiny. But Judas Iscariot preached so marvelously and wonderfully, none of the other 11 apostles had a clue that it could possibly be Judas Iscariot that would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. We want to see a changed life. It didn't change Judas' life. He was a thief. That's why he wanted to carry the bag of the disciples. Anyone can preach. Anyone can quote Scripture. But who will have a changed life To, like Michael described, to break down their bitterness, to flush their bitterness, to flush criticism, to be cheerful, to love their spouse, to be faithful. All the, the aspects of a changed life, especially those that involve love, is the evidence of eternal life. This is the Lord taking care of Cyrus and telling him so. Verse 4, For Jacob my servant's sake, Cyrus, and Israel mine elect, I have called thee by thy name. I haven't called thee by thy name for thee, except for, thee to, for thee to, you to know that I am Israel's God. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. And you know that Cyrus is his first name. And what other names did he have? I mentioned them in the first service. That he was Cyrus the Anointed, he was Cyrus the Shepherd, he was Cyrus the Great, he was Cyrus the King of the World. All these titles he gained because of God's blessing on him and his military campaigns. Verse 5, I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, I am the one that strengthened thee by tying up thy loins, though thou hast not known me. Belshazzar had his loins loosed. Cyrus has his loins girded up. He has his tightened up for conflict and for war. What a difference God made. Babylon should have won, but Cyrus the Persian won because God girded up the one and ungirded the other by causing his loins to be loosed. Listen, God makes the difference in battle. It's not men. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. He raises up one king and puts down another king. And it's in his hands, and we want to trust in his hands for America. Heavenly Father, save America for the sake of your people that live in it. Thou art able to save it. We thank thee for the president that we presently have, and we trust thee for the coming election later this year. We trust thee. Save it for thy people's sake. "...that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west." In verse 6, "...that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else." Remember the thousands of times you see that capitalized L-O-R-D, that is the Lord God Jehovah. When you see the capitals in your King James Bible, I want everyone from Japan to America, from the east, the rising of the sun, to the west, to know that Jehovah is God, and He's the God of Israel." That's verses 1 through 6. Yes, more could be said. You know, you should go and read a little bit more about Cyrus if you want to learn a little bit more about him. But the Lord brought him out of obscurity and put him at the pinnacle of the universe. Uh, the earth, the pinnacle of the earth and its empires is concerned. Babylon's empire was not very wide or not, not as expansive as, as uh, Cyrus's was. When Cyrus became king of Persia, that small little province of Elam, to the east. Persia is Iran. Anyone that knows anything about Middle Eastern history knows that Iran equals Persia, and Persia equals Iran. Iraq is to the west of Iran, and that's where Babylon was. Babylon, you know, the city of Babylon 60 miles south of Baghdad. Babylon is Iraq. Persia is Iran, just for some simple descriptive... Descriptions from geography, but Cyrus was just a little part of Persia, of 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 Elam, of what we would call Iran, and so his first campaigns were to unite all those small city states into a Persian force to be dealt with, and then he went north because the Medes were in the north of Babylon, the Medes were in the area of where Assyria had been, and so he beat the Medes, and now it was the Media-Persia combine. And then he beat Lydia, that was farther to the west, and that's where Cretius, one of the richest kings in history, was. And Cyrus was a very wise tactician in how he dealt with conquered peoples. He wasn't like the Assyrians that flayed them alive outside the walls to intimidate the citizens or transport them thousands of miles away to new homes. He made friends with them. He let them worship their god. whom he defeated, the king of Lydia, was, his, was one of his chief counselors the rest of his life. Just very different. But it wasn't inconsistent what he did in Babylon, was it? He freed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And so there's, there's lots of things you can learn about him. And I just love the Bible for having identified him 100 years before he was born. These are the most conservative estimates by the chronologies we use and 160 years before the overthrow of Babylon. The second lesson of Isaiah 45 is verses 7 through 10. The second lesson, verses 7 through 10, God sovereignly rules all nations and men. Verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Amen. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, And let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, what hast thou brought forth? Amen and amen. Amen. This is a general lesson. Verses 1 through 6 were rather specific. Cyrus, I'm going to do this with you. You are going to achieve this. And here are the reasons why you are going to achieve this. Is all there in the first six verses. Then it moves to some general propositions about his government of the world, that take in Cyrus and the Persians, that take in Belshazzar and the Babylonians, and that take in the Jews. I create good and evil. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Verse 7. When we look in the world, and when you look at, let's use this as an example, the Holocaust of World War II, I, the Lord, did it. No matter how good or light or dark or bad or evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. So that in verse 7, he says, I form the light and create darkness. Now, he had said that he made those wise men in chapter 44 blind and dark. He's already told us that. I make peace and create evil. If two nations are at peace with each other, I formed it. I caused it to happen. If those two nations go to war against each other and there's serious loss of life and serious loss of homes and assets, I, the Lord, do that as well. The evil here is, I don't create evil impulses in a person to sin against me. James chapter 1 tells us that God does not do that. But evil here is trouble, pain, suffering, loss. I do that. Men sin because they want to sin. The devil sinned because he wanted to sin. Pharaoh sinned because he wanted to sin. And the Lord is just saying, whenever you look at the affairs of nations and one nation is on the rise and another nation is declining, I'm the one behind it. I do good things toward nations and I do evil things toward nations. I can burn up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I can bring Nebuchadnezzar to level my city of Jerusalem and then I can bring Cyrus the Persian to gain access to Babylon, and get everything back, and send home every vessel with Nehemiah and Ezra to put back in the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 7 should not be that complicated to you. I, the Lord, do all these things. I form light, whether it's the sun, and night, where there is no sun, or light in a man's conscience and soul, or darkness in a man's conscience or soul. I do all these things. And you know what we should learn from that? When something bad happens in your life, some of you border on blasphemy. Some Christians, let me try to be merciful to our church since you'll be wondering. Some Christians border on blasphemy by questioning God about a negative event. Unbelievably selfish right. to question God about a negative event. Right. He's never made a mistake. He's righteous and holy in all that He does. And this verse says, I, the Lord, the Lord God Jehovah, do all these things. I do good things, bad things, light things, dark things. That's who I am. Here's a woman. Here's a woman for you. And yes, I say it with disdain. Mrs. Job. She's married to the greatest man on earth. And she says, You still in retrain uh, you still have your integrity curse god and die And he said you speak like the foolish women speak and i'm speaking the very same way right now it is such a foolish woman that would ever think that way and job said shall we receive good at the lord's head the lord's hand and not evil we've been so rich you've been eating at the best restaurants you've had the best servants you've had a big house, you've had 10 kids, I've sent them to the best schools, and all you want to whine about is that God took it away? Every woman should be prepared in here, and I want to tell you whose responsibility it is. If I ever hear that out of a woman, it's her husband. He's not a captain. He has moved to the back to be a flight attendant, and he's put his wife in the captain's chair. It should never happen. Educate your wives, and if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. Because it was a woman that said that to Job. And it's terrible. People will curse God about doing something with one of their little kids. Your children aren't yours. Your children are the Lord's. He gave you a child. If he takes it away, he takes it away. Job said, the Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had it down perfect. And God said, in all these things, Job did not sin." He fell down and worshiped God for taking everything away. David worshiped God for taking his son away. Let verse 7 be a lesson. we got to move on. I, the Lord, do all these things. It's scary when anyone wants to question God or say, well, I just don't know if I could deal with that. Why couldn't you deal with it? God, the Holy Spirit, gives us power to deal with it. Right. Everything you have is not yours. Give it up now so that when it disappears, there's no loss. It's His. I, the Lord, do all these things. Be ready for it. He doesn't, He's given us so much good. You know, our nation deserves some trouble. We're living so prosperously. We deserve some trouble. We should prepare for it. Easy come, easy go. Let's say about everything that we enjoy. And if the Lord takes it away, the Lord hasn't changed. And we haven't changed. We just don't eat as well. So what? Help us, Lord. Help us to believe that verse and never change. Oh, verse 8 is so different from verse 7. Verse 7, the the impression you get when you leave verse 7 is, Wow, the Lord creates evil and the Lord creates darkness. Well, just to keep you balanced, look at the prosperity of verse 8 and the vitality and the spiritual blessing that God would pour down from heaven. And the Lord calls upon heaven, drop down, ye heavens. And so it is a description, I, the Lord, have created it. So you've got, cre- I, I create evil, back in verse 7, and you, I, the Lord, have created it, in verse 8, and it's describing blessings and prosperity, because he does both. Now think about Israel. What was it like for 70 years? What if you were a 7-year-old girl, and you had to walk 900 miles as a captive, To go to Babylon. How many rest areas were there along the way? Oh, you had to make your own. I'll not get into anything else. I'll just say you're seven years old, and you've had to go 900 miles to Babylon, and now you're 77, and you're told that you only have one year to live. Is it a good life? How do you want to look at it? There were people that celebrated in in Babylon. Because Jeremiah told them, when you're in Babylon, pray for the peace of Babylon. Build yourself houses, build some vineyards, and marry your children. Enjoy her peace. You know, the the generations that came before us knew how to be happy with so much less than we have. They wouldn't even understand what we do every day. They wouldn't understand our waste and the trouble they had. To do a load of laundry i'm sorry ladies that it's so difficult to toss those clothes into that white box and close the door and it says sesame i will do it for you i am sesame i am aladdin's lamp and i will do the laundry for you You, you, we're all so blessed but the lord look at look at israel what if a woman was seven and now 77 She could have been happy there. Right. You know, and it's a choice to be happy. Yes. Circumstances don't make us happy. Right. Circumstances make you happy for about five minutes. It's called the, uh, the pleasures of sin for a season. The, Moses knew about all that because he had all the treasures of Egypt offered to him, and he would rather suffer reproach and poverty with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Right. Let's make righteous choices. But the Lord here is explaining His use of nations. And so Babylon had its good glory days, and it was going to be overthrown by Persia. Israel had 70 years of chastening, and they're about to get verse 8. They're about to get blessings on their way back, and vitality restored to them. And so the intensity of your pastor is verse 9 and 10, because I'm a little bit ahead of myself because I can't stand it when people question God or think that they have a bad life. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't deserve any of it in the beginning, and that He gave it to me for five minutes is six minutes longer than I deserved it. So verse nine, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker with an exclamation point. That is why I preach the way I do. I have known this verse now for 40 years, 45 years, and love this verse. I love the exclamation point. Woe! And that's what I was trying to say to you. Woe unto him. Woe unto her that striveth with his maker. God created you. God can do anything he wants with you. He made you a certain way. He gave you an IQ of 104, and you can't improve it. Because he's God, and he made you. Woe! unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth." That's a broken piece of pottery. That's all you are, is a piece of pottery. But by the grace of God we're the children of God, adopted by him according to his predestinating purpose. We're so blessed. That's why those martyrs that we had for the duration of 2019, did they care they didn't have anything? Did they care they were going to be burned at the stake? They loved the God of heaven and where they were going. They could pray for God to forgive their tormentors. Where did they get that attitude from? And that spirit from? From the Spirit of the Lord and from building your faith in the Bible. This world is not it. Why do you get moved up and down so much by the little soap bubbles of this world? You know what's coming? Verse 17, Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Does that sound like a decent future for you? Are those your glory days? Verse 17 are your glory days. But back to verse 9, don't forget verse 9. Don't forget its exclamation point. Don't forget maker with a capital M. Don't forget woe. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. You shouldn't have done that. I don't believe, I can't believe God did this. Why did God do this? You know, our nation was barking like this in 2001. Let the potter strive with the potsherds of the earth. If you want to argue with someone, then go argue with that broken piece of pottery sitting next to you. But don't argue with the potter. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth, What makest thou? I don't like what you just made. The question mark is at the end of the whole sentence. Shell the clay, is it appropriate for clay to say to its potter that made something, what did you make? I don't like what you made. Is it appropriate? No, it is totally out of place. Or, thy work, he hath no hands. You made a figurine and he's got no hands. What if God made you without hands? Is it right to strive with God? What if he let you have diabetes when you were two years old? Do you fight with him at night? Don't. Come over and spend the night with me. You fight with him? Do you fight with God about diabetes? Good. I didn't think you did. When was the last time your mother threw a fit, Hannah? about her diabetes sat in a corner went into a funk pulled the blankets around her cried because she has diabetes we pray for all three of you every single Thursday night I care about all three of you God's choices are better than yours or mine or both of us put together I love verse 9. If you want to know a, a foundational verse that formed your pastor, it's Isaiah 45, 9. I can, I, can dis- I can remember learning and meeting that God of Isaiah 45, 9. I love Him. He doesn't owe me anything. He can take everything, and I will give Him all praise and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever if he sends my soul to hell, his righteous law approves it well. As we sing in this church, and I hope you believe it. Verse 10 is like it, except instead of a potter, there's parents. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Dad? Why'd you, why'd you conceive with mom me with only 104 IQ? Why'd you father me at 5'9 when I wanted to be 6'2? That's foolish. He knows I'm kidding, and I hope you do. I hope he does. But that's verse 10. And so verses 7 through 10 are fantastic rules about God's sovereign government of all nations and all men. Whether it's individual, about our personal lives, about our families, about our church, nation, and other nations of the world. God is in charge and he does all things well and it doesn't matter whether we think they are well or not he is God and he's the potter and we're the clay and if we want to argue about it pick somebody next to you and argue with with them because then it's two pieces of broken pottery but don't mess with my God and he's your God whether you like it or not and I hope you'll like it let's get to the next lesson we're in serious trouble now Verses 11 through 14, God the Creator called Cyrus to help Israel. Verses 11 through 14, the lesson of 7 through 10 is powerful. If you want to learn theology about the nature of God and His Godhead, there it is. It's wonderful. Wonderful words. Powerful. I form the light and create darkness right on down through those questions that clay. The, the, the Lord is bringing up the possibility of clay, arguing with a potter, and bringing up children, arguing with their parents for what was, how they were born. The parents don't have any choice on how a person is born. God made that choice. And so it's just as foolish to argue with a parent about what you are and how smart you are, tall you are, coordinated you are, as it is to argue with a potter if you were the clay. 11 through 14, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker... That means the Holy One of Israel and Israel's Maker. The Lord Jehovah is Israel's Holy God and the Lord Jehovah is Israel's Maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. Since I'm in charge, I'm just going to start going verse by verse, but I want to tell you that this is God the Creator calling Cyrus to help. In this little section of 11 through 14, since i just showed you my sovereign power over nations and men ask me about your future go ahead command me command me to cough up what i'm going to do for you you know i know when you first read it and you say really did he say command god yes like job in job 42:4, i will demand of thee and thou wilt tell me i'm stupid i have finally realized it now I'm going to order you to teach me something because I don't know anything by myself. That is Job 42, 1 through 7. It's beautiful. It's like like Abraham saying to God when God said to the angels that were with him, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, let's go ahead and tell him. Lay it on him. I'm going to burn the place down. And Abraham says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Are you kidding? You wouldn't burn up the righteous with the wicked, would you? I've tried to teach you about reasoning with the Lord. As long as we do it respectfully, and that is respectful, the Lord loves it. He's our Father. He wants us to come and ask good gifts from Him. And so here, He says, listen, you just just heard me say I create evil. And I'm responsible for dark and for light. Ask me what I have in store for you. Command me, I'll, I'll tell you. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. I am the creator. Go ahead and ask me what I have in store for the future of your nation. Because notice the beginning of verse 11, the Holy One of Israel and His, that means Israel's maker. He is Israel's God. He's our God. So we can go to Him with boldness like this, and Isaiah encouraged them to go to Him with boldness ask me the future of my sons and daughters ask me command me I'm I'm the creator verse 12 verse 13 It gets to the specifics I have raised him that is Cyrus I have raised Cyrus up in righteousness my purposes in Cyrus are absolutely for your good He is going to do what you have been praying for and wanting to have happen to Babylon. He's going to defeat Babylon, overthrow them, and send you back home with everything that was taken. I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. You will not have to pay him. You will not have to bribe him. You will not have to beg him. I'm going to take care of it. He's going to issue a decree to send you home. Thus saith the Lord, well, when we get home, we're going to be so poor. we We won't have anything. Thus saith the Lord, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God." So, don't worry about being in Babylon. I've raised up Cyrus to get you out. When you get back home and have no cash, and when you go to Lowe's you have no money to pay to get your materials to rebuild the city, I'm going to bring it from Egypt, from Ethiopia, and from Seba, And that is a figurative representation of the neighboring nations that were going to take care of the Jews. Why did he use Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba? Because of chapter 43, I gave Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. Because he had done it in the past, he's going to do it in the future, like he had used the Red Sea as his example in chapter 43, but he said, forget the former things, I've got new things that are like being delivered from Egypt. I hope you remember that from chapter 43. And so he says in verse 11, command me and I'll tell you your future. And your future is good. I'm your creator, so I've got all the power. I'm going to take care of Cyrus and he's going to do everything in verse 13 without you having to pay for it. He did get paid by taking Babylon in one night. That's a pretty cheap battle. And then I'm going to take care of you when you're back in the land of Canaan and all this labor is going to come over to you. And if you're wise, you'll look at verse 14 and say, hmm, these foreign nations that are going to come and help them are going to come because they're converted. So so Isaiah is looking out into the future and seeing the Ethiopian eunuch and all those from Egypt and parts around Cyrene that we're at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they're going to come over and say, you worship the true God and we want to be there with you. You say, okay, pastor, you just told us that you, Isaiah in that verse is looking a little bit beyond sight. Well, of course he is. He's looking at them when they're back in Jerusalem. And these people are converted. And remember verse 17, we're just working our way up to verse 17 that's going to tell us we can't forget what's in the future. Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. That is not getting rescued from Babylon because they had trouble with Persia, and then they had trouble with Greece, then they had trouble with Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. They had trouble. But is there a salvation that the elect Israel of God? They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Is there a salvation that elect Israel got that was everlasting? Absolutely. And we the chapter ends with that In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. The next lesson is at verse 15. Verse 11. Verse 11. Ask me what I'm going to do with you. I'm the creator and have all the power. I've raised up Cyrus and he's going to do all these things for you. And when you get back after he has let you go, I'm going to send these nations to take care of you. Now, if it was a different chapter of the Bible, like chapter... 23, it's going to be Tyre getting back to its great work of international commerce that the Bible called prostitution to have money for durable clothing for those back injured. Remember? And then we saw in that that there was a prophecy extending all the way to the Lord Jesus who visited the coasts of Tyre and Sidon and said in the great day of judgment, you know, Tyre and Sidon are going to rise up against Capernaum and some of those cities that had the greater blessings of right. his presence and his preaching. I love. Command me. Command me and I'll tell you the future. You know, we don't have to. We have a Bible in front of us that is so full of what the Lord's going to do for us. Even this book of Isaiah. Then we have the whole New Testament of all the, the, what the Lord has in store for us. And when the Lord can't tell us because we're not able to bear it, he says, I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And, and he just, I can't explain it to you now. It's just too much. And that's first Corinthians chapter 2. God was Israel's righteous Savior over idols. Verses 15 through 19. God was Israel's righteous Savior over idols. Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I the Lord speak righteousness, I declare things that are right. Ask me about your future, because I'll tell you your future, and I have told you your future. It's in verse 19. I haven't spoken in secret. I've had these prophets detailing your future, whether it be Moses a long time before, or the Psalms, or Isaiah, and all the prophets that followed Isaiah. Isaiah had many contemporary prophets that were prophesying at the same time. I'm not like these other gods where you have to go hear their muttering and their peeping. Do you remember that from Isaiah chapter 8? Other gods mutter and peep. I've declared it openly. I don't speak in secret. You, don't, you didn't have to go to a dark place in the earth to hear me. There was no cave where you went to listen for mutterings of dead spirits telling you the, your future. I'm telling you your future. I never said to seek ye me and meant it in vain that you weren't going to find me i meant for you to find me i the lord speak righteousness this is what i have in store for you the opening of this section is very neat in verse 15 verily that means this is a true statement thou art a god that hidest thyself o god of israel the savior you are our savior you are our god you are our maker you have formed us for yourself but you seem to hide yourself at times so that we can't see you dealing with us. Here we are in Babylon for 70 years. It looked like God had forsaken them. Did David ever write in the Psalms, O oh Lord, how long? How long? How long have you for, will you forsake me? God is just hiding himself for a little while. And he's got great purposes every time he does it. And the great purpose here in the captivity in Babylon was to chasten those people for their sins. And so verse 15, I love verse 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself. It is a true thing about God that sometimes you may not be able to see or recognize that he's at work. But he is at work and he is raising up a boy that did not get killed on his first motorcycle when he was 16 years old. I'm talking about Cyrus II of Persia. He did not get killed in a motorcycle accident. God took care of him and brought him all the way to the throne of Persia, and he did all these things that he promised he would do for them. But it, you couldn't see it. You had to believe the prophets. Job said, I have heard of thee with the hearing of my ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. When God gives us a very clear description of, of who he is and what he's going to do for us, then we can say, now I see you clearly. And this is what's here, right here. Um, Thou art a God that hidest thyself. But I know one thing. You're our Savior and you're our God. And though you hide yourself, the idolaters around us, verse 16, don't have anything working for them at all. They shall be ashamed and also confounded. How many of them? All of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. Babel equals Babylon equals confusion and all these false worshipers of another God were all going to go to confusion together because God was going to overthrow Babylon. But Israel, the, the contrast, look at, that, look at that inspired disjunctive. Don't say to me that it's in italics. That makes me love it even more. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with, ever, with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Look at 16 and 17 against each other. All idolaters, all false religionists, will be ashamed and confounded together, all of them. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. And it says about them, Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. You will never be ashamed. You will never be confounded. You will never regret that you trusted and believed in me. I will deliver you, though at times you can't see me and you think I'm hiding. It is part of the way I deal in Providence, but I'm there. All of them will be ashamed and confounded. Your enemies that outnumber you a thousand to one will be ashamed and confounded, whose temples are greater and cities greater than Jerusalem and its temple. But you will be saved with an everlasting salvation. And that stretches so far beyond Cyrus all the way into heaven. For thus saith the Lord, verse 18, I've, I'm the creator, I have the power, I can do all this easily. Don't forget that you've got Genesis 1-1 in your possession. This is Isaiah Speak. I'm, I'm just adding a little bit for the people of God that were there in Isaiah's audience. Notice how often he brings up creation. Do you, do you see that about every ten verses? He brings up creation. I've got that kind of power. So you, you know who the creator of the universe is. You know, it, it's not Marduk. It's not Bel. It's not Jupiter. It's not Zeus. It's me. Jehovah, I created everything. You know that about the origin of this world that was made to be inhabited, and you're put in here to inhabit it. I've done all these details. You should have full trust in me. There's no limit to my power. They don't even know where they came from. You know where you came from. I brought you. I made you. I formed you. And so verse 18 brings that up again. And then verse 19, I have not spoken in secret. This is not difficult. And you are welcome to ask me about your future. And so I'm telling you. Remember 11 was to ask about my sons and my daughters. And then verse 19 says, I haven't spoken in secret. I've had these men that come before you and teach you detailed prophecies. Remember chapter 13 said the Medes would defeat the Babylonians. That's a lot of detail. And we have it in writing. And we have it in writing verse 20 verse 20 starts the last section of this chapter God saved by Cyrus for universal worship and what I want to show you in these final six verses 20 through 25 he is going to call the gentile idolaters that escaped Cyrus's sword together and mock them for their false religion and ask them have you ever heard of one of your gods doing what I did prophesying of this event And he's going to to move right into how, how idolatry is going to be thrown down. And one of the first acts to throw down idolatry was Cyrus. And it would come into the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ as they preach the gospel. And it will end with men saying, In the Lord I have righteousness and strength. And everyone that believes in God will come to him and find that same righteousness and strength, and everyone that doesn't shall be ashamed. And so the crux of the matter turns in the last two verses as to what you're going to do with this God. Okay, here we go. Verse 20, we, and we can end this 45th chapter. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image, and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye. And bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. But unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. And amen, and amen. Forty began with, Comfort ye my people, with John the Baptist and Jesus. Forty-two went the same route in the first nine verses about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's back and forth, Christ, Cyrus, Christ, Cyrus, Christ. As we close out Isaiah 45. So the, the invitation to assemble in verse 20 is those that had escaped the sword of Cyrus. So God had been merciful to them to some degree because Cyrus had, God's made me, God's given me all the nations of the world. All the kingdoms of the world are mine. And so he had beaten many, but the prophet here is calling them to come together. You know that now that you escaped, you know, a dead man can't show much faith. But a living man that escaped Cyrus's judgment is now being asked. You know, the news came out of Israel 160 years ago that a man named Cyrus was going to do this. Did any of your gods ever do that? None of your gods ever did it. There's only one God. That is what 20 and 21 are saying. Bring them together. Let's take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who has been prophesying about this for hundreds of years? It's the Jews. Right. It's Jehovah that has given his prophets that kind of insight into what's coming. Who hath told I'm in the middle of verse 21. Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There's no god beside me. A just God and a savior. There is none beside me. I love that combination. He is a just God and a savior. If he was a just God and wasn't a savior, you die. If he was a savior and wasn't a just God, he's a compromiser. He is a just God and a savior. And so this is the message of these two verses. You men have survived the onslaught of Cyrus. What are you going to do about it? You were told about Cyrus coming. Your counselors and wise men and your diviners said it wouldn't happen that way. But it did happen that way, just like I told it. Now what are you going to do about it? Because I am a just God and a savior. I saved my people out of Babylon and have brought them all the way back home. I am just in punishing the Babylonians for their cruelty toward my church. Now, what do you want to do with it? Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And so he's moving from national, temporal deliverance and salvation of nations to claim Christ. As he moves forward and transitions out of just being delivered from Cyrus's sword to being saved with an everlasting salvation, like verse 17 told us. Because verse 17 tipped us off that there is something more in the apostle's aim, the, the prophet's aim than just deliverance from Cyrus. And so look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. You have trusted in gods that aren't gods, and those gods are not just, and those gods do not save. I save. Look unto me, and be ye saved. You know, and thankfully, there were men in other nations that did look and, and believed in the God of Israel. And, and the Lord said in verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness. I've made an oath, and it's not going to return to me void. It's going to bear fruit, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. I will get the honor of being the only God that there is, the God that can foretell prophecy and bring it to pass in this world or in the next i will have every knee bow to me and every tongue shall confess and all idolaters will admit they have no gods that they worshiped and i am the only true and living god and i am a just god and a savior and if you would look to me and repent and they did and there were nation- there were people that came strangers that gathered themselves to the jews that were back in jerusalem and rebuilt the temple Surely, because of God's oath and because of this development and transition of Isaiah from the time of Cyrus to the regathering in Jerusalem, even into the apostles' age and to the great day of judgment, surely, in verse 24, shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. I have found in this God, in this God named Jehovah, righteousness for my case and strength to live for Him. I have His legal covering. He is a just God and a Savior. And I have found His righteousness to cover me and strength for me to live for Him. I am justified and I am sanctified by His righteousness and by His strength. And what is the strength of God in our lives? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. Surely shall one say, because of what God's going to do, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. Men are going to come to the Lord God and confess their sins, and that there's righteousness and strength only in Him. Whether it's the Philippian jailer or it's the Ethiopian eunuch, whether it's Cornelius of the Italian band, it happened. It happened. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Every one that didn't like the Lord God Jehovah and was incensed against him was incensed against his son. Jerusalem was destroyed. Rome was destroyed. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ stands forever, and it has filled the whole earth. In the Lord, in the Lord, just like 24 was in the Lord, verse 25, in the Lord shall all the seed, remember from chapter 6, the seed of Israel is a tenth. The seed of Israel is a small part of Israel. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Not only will they be justified with the righteousness of God put upon them through the sacrifice of His Son, but they are going to glory in the salvation they have because of Him. They're going to be celebrating, excited, thankful, and glad, and joyful in their hearts. And so Isaiah 45. And brethren, these chapters, I've said this ten times, the chapter divisions sometimes trouble us, but not very often. And maybe when they trouble us, they shouldn't. But God providentially preserved them. And if you'll notice, the very next verse is right back to making fun of Babel's, Babylon's gods. Right. Bel boweth down, Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon their beasts. They're having to pack up their gods and move. And so it goes right back in to the same kind of lesson we've been getting. So 46 and 47 next Sunday will be similar, but what a God we have. Yeah. And you know what? We do believe in replacement theology here. Replacement theology means that we Gentiles make up the greater part of Israel of the New Testament. And the the ones of Israel that make up that church and kingdom with us, they're only part of Israel for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. It is the seed of Israel and then the Lord grafted in a whole lot of us Gentiles and what a God we have. You know we have the whole collection of 66 books in the Divine Library. We can go into that library and read about this and read about Cyrus the Great, but notice how the chapter progresses by calling us out of the nations to look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. We are in a different hemisphere from those Jews, but we believe that God ourselves, His name is Jehovah, His Son is Jesus Christ. His Son died for us. We have everlasting righteousness and salvation in Him, and we have the strength by His Spirit inside us to do everything He wants us to do because we have been delivered from sin and we're free.